Hello everyone, and welcome to Geekscant, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and today I've got another Gen Con 2023 seminar episode. Uh, this was a recording that I did with Tony Vicinda to a small audience. Uh, the title of the seminar was Navigating Third-Party Gaming Licenses. This was the second time I had done that panel this uh, week at Gen Con. The first time was just by myself. This one with Tony I felt like was much better, so that's the one I'm handing off to you. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy. This was a lot of fun. Thank you to Tony for hanging out with me. Go check out Plus One EXP for all of Tony's rad, rad stuff, and uh, let us know what you think. Enjoy. So, real quick, let's just do some introductions. Uh, my name is Zach Goins. I run a company called World of Game Design. World of Game Design does a bunch of publishing for a bunch of different licenses, a different bunch of different products. We do stuff for 5th edition. We do stuff for Mothership, Morkborg, System Neutral stuff, OSE stuff, DCC stuff, all across the board. Not only that, one of the things that we do as a company is I consult for a lot of other publishers and clients and designers and writers who want to be full-time or part-time in this industry. So I have my hand in a lot of licenses on a regular basis, and I am eyeing other licenses on a regular basis. Um, when the OGL debacle hit earlier this year, um, we had a lot of... Did something happen with the OGL? It, uh, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, actually, that was the first question of the last panel. Oh, really? I was like, all right, well, we know we know where we're starting. That's great. That's perfect. Um, but yeah, this is like, well, let's do a panel where we talk about like not just the OGL. We can talk about the OGL, the, the Wizards OGL, but really just to have a licensing and, and gaming licensing conversation in general, let you know what it means to, to work underneath a license. What is it? What does an open gaming license or a closed gaming license or whatever mean? What does an SRD mean? And what other systems out there that are viable that we could put that you could put your you could hit your wagon to, so to speak. Um, you don't have to hit your wagon to a system, but it does give you access to a community and an audience, and doesn't it means that you don't have to start from square zero. Anyhow, my name's Zach, and this is I'm Tony. That's yeah. it. I'm not nothing else. <laughs> no, uh, so I'm Chief Alchemist at Plus One EXP, which is a weird little brand that multi classes in tabletop game design, beard and skincare alchemy in the Bardic College of Content Creation. Uh, so we do a lot of different things, but essentially we help create sustainable pathways of play from an idea of a game all the way through fulfillment. So that might mean um, helping in a lot of the ways that Zach just talked about that they do a world of game design, but also um, with marketing elements, um, with uh, design. We've got a bunch of communities we host uh, all the way through crowdfunding fulfillment or e-commerce after the fact. So um, we also publish a lot of different games and work with a lot of different systems. We tend to focus more on... Um, smaller systems and we have a blend of like we'll work with a lot of people who create story games so not your kind of traditional or osr or uh, adventure games but things that are more in slife of life romance um, but we also do love a lethal osr system uh, in the mix also too in addition to that um, i've developed two srds and consulted on three or four others for both our house systems um, and help people kind of keep an idea about how you create a system reference document um early on in play if they plan on creating something that uh, they want people to be able to pick up and do more with, um, or at least think a little bit about how they want to give explicit permission for other people to create and play around in the system that they've done, um, or navigating the system that somebody else made. Perfect. Uh, so I should have done this before, but I was worried I because I thought that I was only doing one of these. I only printed out so many of these handouts, and now there's now there's not that many of you, so it's like it's perfect. Right? Everybody gets a handout. Okay, so, yeah, you get a handout. You get a handout. You get a handout. Uh, if you lose this, you can email me, and I will send you a new copy. So. Um, 
just so you know what you're looking at, that is going to be a bunch, not all by a long shot, but a bunch of the bigger, the bigger um, licenses and companies that you can design for or that you might want to design for. Um, as Tony's going to tell you, uh, has already told you, and will tell you again, like, um, there's a lot of really cool smaller companies and smaller systems, smaller licenses that you might find are perfect for you. Um, and uh, we can share some of those resources as well. Um, this is just really about like, you know, we have people come in and say, what is it like to design for D&D? Or what is it like to design for DCC? I want to write DCC stuff. This sheet is going to give you a little blurb about what that license entails or what that what that system is about. And then a link that takes you directly to the most accessible um, resource for understanding that license for that company. Um, does that help? Is that, is that useful? Good. Good, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so... There's only like there's only a handful of you guys here, um, so I think we should start with finding out why yeah. they're here. Oh, I was just straight curious. Beautiful. Yeah, I've, uh, me and the brother-in-law are thinking, you know, maybe a fifth edition supplement uh, book, mm-hmm. 5e compatible, and uh, we're just curious what we might run into. I love that. That's cool. a great question. Yeah. What about you guys? So we're actually kind of building out an RPG story. Oh, awesome. Uh, we have some miniatures that we've made. Um, and then he's got a whole story plan in his mind. But then just because of coming here and doing this, I've actually taken one of the miniatures named Harry off on a little side journey of my own and started doing his backstory and everything. So I um, just kind of wanted to figure out like how to get started. I was at one of your um, seminars the other day about getting started with the successful Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, so just kind of getting all the information. Awesome. You have a follow up on either of those, real quick. Any questions? I just loved how he's like he has ideas in his mind. Here's what I'm doing. That was that. That's what I noticed about that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's perfect. And then uh, you. Yeah, same, same here. As far as I go, said. Yeah, curious more than anything else. Trying to look at the See, this is why I like this seminar, because nobody comes to a seminar called Navigating Third-Party Licenses for fun, Yeah, right? It's always people who are like, all right, I, I want to be careful before I enter this space, or I, I want to enter this space, and this is going to help me enter it in a good way. And I love that because hopefully we can help you make some solid choices or at least have some more information so that you can make the decisions that you like. Because, you know, whether it's 5e or whether it's the smallest system out there or whether it's uh, an RPG that you're going to design yourself, like knowing this sort of stuff on day one or at least having to start to knowing this on day one is going to save you a lot of headaches and anxiety yeah. um, <laughs> ongoing. Well, and I think I think maybe a good place to start even with that is because you work in a lot of different systems. Um like and you like as a creator with right. a lot of other people also too, and I know some people who come to you or even you probably start with I want to make something for X, but probably most of the time people are starting with, well we've got kind of an idea for a thing we don't know where it fits. How do you decide when you've got an idea for a thing where to start moving it into or towards the system? Like I said, I know it's going to vary from project to project. Yeah, so I'm a big believer that systems are designed for certain styles of games, right? Like. Um, the mechanics of a system are designed to emulate certain things very, very well. And other mechanics for other games are designed to emulate other things very, very well. Um, so if you like designing for 5e or you like 5e, it's not going to be the f- answer for every type of play. As an example, let's just use a simple one. 
I think solo play, that's a weird, that's a weird example, but solo play and 5e don't jive very well, right? It's just, it's just, it, it's blood and oil or whatever. I don't know. And, and but, really, fifth edition is a game about fights. Like, you can do yes. other things in fifth edition, but what fifth edition does at its core is give you a lot of combat mechanics, and it doesn't, and even though there are social realities, and you can just choose to role play, yep. at that point, you're not really engaging in the system. You're engaging in a culture of play that the system supports, but not directly. Where there are other games that really look at social mechanics, social interactions, social realities, and look to emulate how those things evolve. And though people might try to write those things into 5th edition, they are working at odds with the system and the play culture when they do that. And another great example I would, I would flip around and say is the underlying system of Morkborg. As a, as a, or Morkborg is super light, super brutal, super clean. Well, that means that certain aspects of it aren't going to work for them. If let's say like Traveler has a good like business and commerce oh, aspect, yeah, right? You don't want to try to write a business and commerce game. I mean, that actually would sound pretty cool for Morkborg, but yeah. um, I say that. But like underlying the system isn't going to work. Same thing with like Mothership. Mork Bank. I did it. I saw yeah, the Mork Bank. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, Mothership is a sci-fi horror game, right? And it has a whole system for stress and panic. Now you can reflavor those things and use the underlying idea of rolling dice in certain ways to to build something else. But at its core, when you ask, like, where do you put something? The first thing that I say is, well, what sorts of stories are you wanting to tell? What sorts of interactions are you wanting to have at the table? And is there a system that's a natural fit for that right out the gate? And if the answer to that is yes, then we look at a sheet like this and we say, is that system something that we can use, right? And then secondly, is that system something that has a built-in follower follower counter community that we can harness to help you be successful in that space? So there's kind of several steps to it, but the square one is like, what are you wanting to do? What are you wanting to tell? And is there a system? And some folks start with, I love fifth edition. Right. I don't like my goal is not to write a crazy story. My goal is to write a, a monster grimoire for fifth edition. Well, we've already checked the list of what Here's you're shooting for, right? right? Yeah. 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 No, love it. Does that make sense? Yeah, for okay. sure. I just thought it was a good question to ask. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think I'm a genius and yeah. <laughs> when it comes to asking questions. Yeah. Well, you're definitely a genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, as far as that goes, like that's it, like, like starting off with like what system's going to be a best fit for you. Um, also getting a good sense for what does a license mean in general? And what am I getting into when I, when I, when I align myself with uh with a gaming system is it's not as clear cut as you would like for it to be and it's not as clear cut as the publishers would like for the it to be the publishers would like you to think a lot of things about what that means yeah that are not the case there are also other people who might like you to think certain things about it that are not the case and this that goes in a lot of different directions yeah as an example there's what like around 15 different companies listed on here Almost every single one of them has a different approach to what a license means. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have a license that is literally one sentence in their book that says, go nuts, right? This go is, nuts, this isn't our fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, some of them have, uh, probably the middle of the road, honestly, is Wizards of the Coast with the OGL. Yeah. I mean, it says it's open. We know that it's not really open in the fullest sense of the word right there are stipulations there are rec- there are requirements there are ways that you can lose your license yada 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 but at the end of the day it's pretty open like and the amount of text you have to put into your book is higher than is high it's a page but nuts. yeah yeah uh, you have to 
you have to reserve the last page of your book for for a license. But at the end of the day, the cool thing about the OGL is it is actually free, and you don't have to pay a royalty to them to use it. Um, so that's a handy thing. Not all the play companies on here give away their license for free. A lot of them, a number of them will ask for a royalty payment. In fact, the normal in the industry is if you're going to acquire a license, you're going to give them something in return, right? Either an upfront payment or a royalty payment or both. So the fact that you have the OGL or you have some of these other things, that is, they're not doing it altruistically, but it is a benefit to you. They're not doing it altruistically. They're doing it because they know that if you're out there building stuff, creating stuff, selling stuff for their system, the person who's going to win the most for that is them. And that's true across the board. Like, because you are making a supplement. In order to use the supplement, you, they must have, the player must have the original. So that's why the player's handbook is always going to sell the most mm -hmm. for, for 5e. You're never going to outsell the player's handbook. You're never going to come close because every person and their mom has to own the player's handbook if, uh, if, 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 if you're going to use any third-party thing whatsoever. So they know that they can't make 30,000 books a year, but if they put out a gaming license, there will be 30,000 books a year made for them and 30,000 creators yelling uh, at the rooftops that you should play 5e. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a two-way street. They're doing it. They're giving you something. They're getting something in return. Same thing's true for you. You're getting something. You're giving something in return. You're giving them your lip service, right? You're giving them your you're giving them you know, yeah free free advertisement for their core system. Exactly, and in some cases, you're giving them uh, your money. Um, so, uh, and then at the extreme end of things, I would say like extreme end for some things are like Chaosium. Is that a good example? Yeah, I think Chaosium side? is probably the most extreme. So Chaosium Call of Cthulhu is like, hey, if you want to design, if you want to write something for us, you can only put it out, except in extremely specific scenarios, you can only put it out on DriveThruRPG through their Miskatonic uh, repository, and they will take 60% or 50%, I have it on here, I, we'll, we'll say 50% because that sounds nice, um, yeah, 50%, they'll take 50% of your sales, that's not awful if your sales are great but you know it's kind of up to you to do that does that include the the platform component I that does include know. the platform okay. component so that 50 percent doesn't fully go to uh chaosium it goes to drive through and it goes to chaosium kind of in the split um that is pretty much the only way that you can write call of cthulhu the only other way that you can do it is you can send them an email and say hey i have this pitch i really would like to make the product they say that sounds great give us some give us some money we'll give you a license you'll pay a royalty it's going to be a very it's a very tightly controlled aspect and not a lot of people will will get through that process so that's and that might be a moment which you go maybe i want to make a bespoke rpg system there that does something similar <laughs> If I if you don't want to pay that, like you might say, I want to pay that because I know it's going to bring the community. I know it's going to bring the license. The interesting thing about license, the most important thing to know is that there are restrictions to what you can access if you are not using a license. Like there are certain things you can't do, but also nobody owns rolling a dice and adding something to it, and nobody owns rolling two d six and then using that to figure out the resolution. Like mechanics themselves are not trademarks. Intellectual property terms and things are trademarked, and license may give you access to some of those, but that's usually a very rare circumstance. So when a license applies to you is often, oftentimes when you are choosing to access that license. So you rarely have to worry about if I make my thing and I put it out there and I'm not using anything from this system, 
are they going to come after me for a breach of their license? Overwhelmingly, probably not. Um, yeah. Like I said, fifth e, for 5E, there still are a few terms that are restricted, even though it's been far more broadly opened. Um, uh, there are other things, especially in like Chaosium is a good example. That's part of the reason Chaosium asked for a royalty is because there's a level of trust that happens in concert with the HB Lovecraft estate that they are responsible for managing, and they have fiduciary responsibilities to for and around also. Um, so there's a lot of reasons so that some of those financial obligations may exist. But if you're not making something for Call of Cthulhu, you don't have to worry about what the Call of Cthulhu license says uh, unless something is not public domain and you're trying to use it. Yeah, we talked a lot about Call of Cthulhu, but it's a really good example of like it can get really in the weeds really fast. Um, that's not always a bad thing, like you said, because it, you act, get access to an audience. But that's why something like this and that's why they try to put a link to something that is very clear about, hey, on our website, here's how you can use it. It may take you an hour or a few hours to like fully read through and getting an understanding, but they want that information available to you right. because they want you to, at the end of the Chaosium, at the end of the day, wants you to say, you know what, this is a good deal and I'm going to do it. So they're going to at least give you the information to decide if it's a good deal for you. Um, that's going to be true with pretty much every RPG to some extent is they're putting out, they, there's a link on their website that says, here's how you, how you could check in with it. If they don't have a link on their website, it's because they probably are saying, hell no, don't touch it. And they have a different philosophy than Tony and I have. And that is true with some companies. Yeah. Um, there's, there's definitely companies that are like, nope, we're going to pretend like you cannot touch us with a 10 foot pole. We want to maintain it completely. And that's their, that's their business. And there are, there are very real intellectual property realities around some of that. So again, you need to be, you need to be aware of if you're making something that both sounds like and uses the same themes and setting ideas as a game and uses a very similar system you may be coming into that space but overwhelmingly unless unless you're getting into something that is a published intellectual property specific terms specific language usually you don't have to start worrying about that and you can also still make your thing and get to that point and then see and work with them because if, if you're worried you can send it to them and say what do you think and they may say Oh, we really love this. Yeah. Like, how can we support it? Or they may say, like, you know, any number of things after that. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on to something else or, or cover something else entirely, do you guys have questions or anything that's come up from that that you want us to sit on? No? Okay, cool. Um, I think that using the base example and walking through what it looks like to write, to put a license on something is probably a good thing to do. Okay. Um, I want to also, we just dumped a ton of technical information on, on you guys. So let me say this. If you Google third-party 5e content, you will get a million links, right? That should tell you it is not hard, right? Mm -hmm. We just dumped a lot on you, but the reality is that there are people every single day. And, and I like saying this, even though it's probably a little rude. There are dumb people every single day <laughs> who, are, who are using that license or licenses very similar and using it accurately. So do not be intimidated by this. The, at the end of the day, you're going to pick one of these licenses or a different one, but one thing, and you're going to just have to be proficient in that thing. You don't yeah. need to know everything. And you're probably going to quickly find a community of other people who, do, who already use it who can help you navigate it also too. Yeah. So just walking through, let's walk through because we, we had a couple of people talk about 5th edition real quick sure. here. Let's just say like if you want to make a 5th edition product, what does that look like? It looks like this. There is a 5th edition OGL license. It is about a page long if you use 6 point font. Um, 
It is. It is much. Yeah. Which you should. <laughs> yeah, which you should. You should not give them any more real estate in your product than one page, and that's good enough. Um, there's also a Creative Commons license that has just been put out um, for the OGL that works in concert. Uh, that kind of happened with the debacle at the beginning of the year when they started reeling back the OGL and all sorts of hell broke loose. They ended up putting out a Creative Commons license uh, that allows you to use basically, we'll just say for lack of a better word, um, the the basic underlying framework of the D20 system. Um, and they put it out in Creative Commons and unless uh, super lawyers get involved, that means that it's not really theirs to own anymore. It's Correct. it's out there in the ether and you can access it. You really have right now like two or even three options of what license you're going to put in your book because they are kind of in limbo. If we have the same panel next year, there will probably be one option. But right now you could use the Creative Commons license, which is going to be like a paragraph that you're going to put on the credits page of your book. And it's going to have a link to the Creative Commons text. Or you're going to put the use the current third-party full OGL license, and you're going to drop it um, in the back of your book, and it's going to take a full page. Me right now, because I've published a million things under that original license, I'm continuing when my team puts out a fifth edition product. I just use that same license. Um, it's simple, it's sweet, and I know that it's what they prefer me to put out as far as instead of Creative Commons. So I'm doing it just to make them. I don't. I don't think they even care. If Whatever, but um, I'm doing it. Whatever, it's what I'm used to doing. But you have and options. they'll sue you if they need to. If they if they need wrong. to, yeah, they'll be all right. Um, but getting that that license is really simple. You you Google D and D third party OGL license, and it's going to be the, pretty much the first result that pops up. And when you access that result, um, it's going to take you to a link that has all of that text. You just copy that text, paste it into the back of your book. You're pretty much done. It's pretty easy as that. Obviously, read it, but it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, that's the easy part of the license. If you want, you can also use their system reference document. The system reference document, or SRD, is like a 280-page document that is all of the basically all of the core rules for 5th edition with a bunch of monsters, a bunch of spells, and a bunch of stuff that you would find in the Player's Handbook or the Game Master's Guide that are that they are saying specifically in their license, you are free to copy all of the stuff in here verbatim. You can just quote the SRD. You can pull stuff directly from it. That license, the reason that I don't consider it open, really ish is that really it's a permissive license in that it's allowing you to do a specific thing and if you're trying to do something that exists outside that permissive statement it's probably not allowed right so the srd is what they're saying you can reference and copy and quote and only that um there's not a there's not like a big list of here's the words that you can't use and that's it and you're good to go it is you can only use this stuff and your own ideas and your own work, and that is it. Do not copy anything from the DMG that's not in here. Even if it's just a brief line of text and it doesn't say the word Mordenkainen, yeah. it's still not approved, right? So SRD is a good reference. If it's in the SRD, you're good to use it. That's why I love the SRD, because it's a very clear indicator of where my safe zones are. And as soon as I step outside that, I know I'm in the danger zone. And if you're doing something in 5th edition, it's saving you potentially writing work, or it's giving you the structure that you want to use to be able to create things as you modify them. So, I mean, it, it, there is a lot of real solid strength that comes from having a reference document that lets you say, hey... Not only are here the things you can copy, but also here is the form, format, and formula 
for some of these items also. But again, you've got to live in that space of if you if you're modifying it to your own idea, you're fine because you're just taking the structure. You can't take something else they've made and necessarily mod it into that. And that's where you'll get into kind of some sticky situations on using the SRD. So you've got to think through some of those things really intentionally. But again, for the most part, most people are taking that and they're marrying. Here's the license text. Here's the things we know we can use with our own ideas. And that the it's the beauty of a permissive doc, even though you kind of miss some of the, well, can I do this? And the answer is not anywhere. Yeah. I would say um, you don't have to reference the SRD. You don't have to like put it as a resource or a link to it or whatever in your product. You can just use it. As long as you have the license in your book, you are good to go. You don't need to, every time you say that you're the black bear stat block, you don't have to put in brackets next to it from the SRD. From the SRD yeah. um, um, what I like to do if I'm going to use the SRD is I'll put a disclaimer at the beginning of the book or somewhere, or if I'm, if it's used for monster stat blocks, I'll put it in the monster appendices and I'll say these creatures or these items are going to be in this adventure and are found within the SRD. That's a great way of not having to copy text that you don't want to, but that's completely optional. Um, and not a big deal. That's as easy as it is. You don't have to report to Watsi. You don't have to pay them anything. You don't have to put up your product on a specific place. You can go nuts and do whatever you want to with it as long as you've got the OGL in there and you're abiding by the guidelines of the SRD. Sky's the limit. Cannot put D&D on your book. That's a big note. No, no. Do not say the words D&D. Do not think the words D&D. Do not say the words uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Do not think Duncan the words Dunkin' and Donuts. Dunkin' and Donuts <laughs> is great. Yeah, yeah. I that won't get you in trouble at all. I wonder if you could get away with like uh, dragons and dungeons. I bet you not. I mean, because <laughs> unless you're doing strict parody work, and even then, I bet you they would they would claim brand confusion. Brand confusion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, you can say the words five e, um, and that's what you should do if you're making a five e product. Is is say this is for five e, and everybody will know that, except for the weird vampire players who insist that they own five e yeah. as well. Um, something to know also as you're entering into these things, there's things that aren't necessarily in a license, but that we'll often see come with a community of things. So like we talked a little bit about um, drive through RPG, right? So a lot of people will use DMs Guild for publication release. There are financial things that come in with that. That kind of we we touched on similar similar to uh, Chaosium. Like if you sell through there, there's some certain realities for platform hosting and stuff like that. But you're also going to pick up a design community that you can decide if you want to use or access or not. Some of that is just the good reality of other people who are designers. But some of it's even the visual aesthetics of a lot of these things. There's tools that have been designed to help uh, emulate, refine, and repeat some of that layout. Now, if you don't like that layout, which some of it does not speak to me at all, you can ignore that also too. But there are some people who have come to use that as kind of soft coding for... Hey, this is a this is a fifth edition D and D inspired product. So we're going to use that visual design element to do it. And there are a lot of resources out there that have been de- like developed to help people create some of that. But you've got to look again at specifically what you can do as far as um, uh, some of the visual representation of the concept on the outside of it. So you've got to you've got to consider all of those things. Most of that information will be found anywhere you're going to find a license if it, if it matters. If it matters, yeah, exactly. So as an example of that, right, like all spells in D&D are italicized, right? It's a, across every book, all spells are italicized. Here's the thing about the 5e audience. The 5e audience wants you to look as much at walk, talk, and, and everything and else look, yeah. as close to an official book as possible. 
Um, they don't like they don't like things that stray too far. So you, we know that going into it. So we should not. We sh- if you decide, well, in my book, spells are going to be in bold. You know, you're going to frustrate an enormous amount of the five E audience right out the gate, and that is largely true for almost every person that you might hit your wagon to. Right, like people who love mothership or who love DCC or love whatever. If you're offering a DCC book, you know that you're, you're trying to sell to an audience that's already in love with a thing. They probably want your thing to look and talk and feel like something that they're already in love with. Uh, only in the rare exceptions with the rare system or with the rare artist can you get away with doing something different and not frustrating a chunk of your yeah. community. I mean, I would say generally the, the ones that kind of ex- – the, the, um, the more traditional games that they are, so that's going to be like um, you know DCC – Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder. Uh, Pathfinder, even Cipher System, Call of Cthulhu, but games that are kind of like well known for the last couple of decades. Those ones are the ones that are really going to lean heavily into that visual design things. Uh, but uh, Merkborg, like every single Merkborg book, has different. Now you want to use good information hierarchy, so when they do, but that audience is never going to expect one product to look from a formatting standpoint like another. But there's still a lot of visual tells in that community. The the yellow, pink, black color palette, for for instance, even though it might be used in wildly different ways, is still something that a lot of people use. Um, but like Powered by the Apocalypse games, they're all wildly and insanely different, right? Uh, Force of the Dark games are all wildly and insanely different. Troika games, there's not a lot of solid consistency. So again, some of them don't provide any of that, but that means there are no tools to help you know exactly what to do when you want to do it. Let's take a let's take a, like a, a small pivot here. Yeah. We talked a lot about the bigger companies, and you just yeah. kind of cap that right. Um, so we talked. The reason that you would jump with a bigger company, we've already said that is you're harnessing a pre-existing community, a pre-existing audience, and all that. Tony, why would you choose to design your own system or harness yourself to a smaller RPG system? I'm going to work blue for a second because fuck big corporations. <laughs> um, the um, no, there are a lot of different reasons that you might, and some of that might be like, for me, like, we don't do anything 5e related, because for me specifically, I don't want to sell players handbooks. Like, that is actually something I would actively like to avoid. And that's not a moral judgment for anyone who does. That is a choice that we have made as a brand and as a channel, um, that that is not something that we, we do. And that usually actually even extends to kind of like, children of 3.5 and 5e like we don't cover a lot of pathfinder or anything else like that um, because there's also a million people who do who do those and so those big communities also come with exactly that big communities with lots of creators who are doing very similar work on repeat and so it's harder to find your voice find your footing in that and so it's sometimes easier to say hey i want to tell a different type of story going back to what you said early on uh, because if i want to tell a game about a group of people um, in a cinemagraphic style who all have a really strong intent and purpose. And there's a lot of it kind of historically intensive planning that goes into them executing those things. Um, but I want the game to play fast. I would look at Force in the Dark, the game that powers Blades of the Dark, um, because it's a heist game. And so like I, and it, it doesn't require you to be telling heist stories, though that's really what it does best. Any group that's trying to navigate a complex situation where you don't want to do a lot of planning, you just want to flashback, have cool moves, do crazy things like so that that's gonna matter, right? Um, is still that that primary what kind of story are you wanting to tell? But I might be looking to find a community where I can really stand out and grow with other people that's not quite as crowded, or um, I might be looking for. Uh, a different style of play, generally speaking, than is supported in some of those different um, different types of games. And 
each of these small systems oftentimes uh, um, have very varied ways that they engage with enforcement far more than I think big companies. I think the bigger companies are far more consistent, even if the amount of money might transition in the types of things you can expect in working with that license. But when you're working with, with powered by the apocalypse as a kind of like um, uh, their, their OGL, like their, their core system pieces, they don't have a system reference document. They literally are like, Hey, here are some of the core ideas that we've written in blogs over the course of 20 years and that Vincent Baker is now trying to codify into an SRD. Uh, and the information's out there if you want to go find it, but like we haven't really put it together anywhere for you. And I'm very excited they are doing that, but you aren't going to inherit anything other than a bunch of people who like the style of play that Powered by the Apocalypse games provide and a community of people who might give you feedback, but it's probably the most diffuse out of all of them because there it. There is no way in which PBTA is really well defined in a succinct way. Because if I'm like, it's 2D6 plus something, right? Well, like Traveler was 2D6 roll under, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, but Powered by the Apocalypse and Traveler are not any way, shape, or form the same game. There's not the same kind of mixed success or stuff like that that you're going to look for. We know there's going to be heavier narrative realities, but what those are aren't clearly defined, again, yet. It's, it's very much a... Um, Hey, we have some ideas and there's an art to this. And if you need help, find somebody else who likes it and they'll help you. Now, but there's a ton of PBTA games out there yeah, like, that, that are really successful. Avatar is powered by the apocalypse game, right? And so Lynn did $10 million on Kickstarter. And so, um, there's a lot of things like that. And then you'll have other systems like, um, like Troika or Trophy that have really intensive, really supportive communities. They do have a visual design that's been really well established. There is a lot of flexibility in what's happening there. Um, and, and there is a lot of freedom in what they can do. Um, but, um, they're not, they're not going to necessarily still provide a lot of the same kind of big structural attention driving support. They're going to provide a community of, of care, some best practices for layout and a few other small things. But for me, I, I think that, I think that an initial thing of what type of story do you want to tell um, and what type of community do you want to be engaged when are, are some of the biggest ones that I look at. Yeah. I like that. I like um, as we move down the ladder from Bivy to other big dogs like Chaosium down to smaller, smaller RPGs like, like Troika or Trophy, all the way down to you making your own system. There's, 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 as we move down there, your level of marketing agility is going to be expected to climb upward. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're in this for the money, which we're assuming that you're hoping to. I mean, obviously we're all doing it because we love it because there's not really a ton of money in the RPG space, but, um, but doing it because we love it still, we want to pay bills with it. We still don't want to lose money or be, you know, in the red. All that to say, the, the more unique your thing is, the more it's going to be on your shoulders to make sure that it's in front of people. Yeah. Um, and so as we move into the bottom level of this, which it, I say bottom only in the sense of community size, yeah, for sure. um, which is building your own system or doing it from the ground up. That's really cool. I love doing it. I know, Tony, you've done it. You talked about yeah. the beginning about it. Like that's a thing that all sorts of creators and pr- pretty much all RPG designers at some point have an itch to design a system. Yeah, I think and, they're, even the ones who are like, I don't want to be a system designer, at some point are like, I want to do things with my adventure that those systems will let me do. How do I do it? 
Yeah, or it's just a feather in your cap that you want to put in, right? right. Like, I, I want to say that I have designed one. That's great. Just understand that now it is on you to make that system popular. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a million, I mean, that's a whole seminar in the, the scope of how do you, how do you market? For next year, how I made Together We Go the most popular system. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how I, how I destroyed Wotzi in one year. <laughs> I don't even send yeah. it. Um, no, it is. Yeah. I mean, because, and, and one of, like, a lot of people go back to, and a lot of small creators are like, I don't want to create a license, which is actually a totally valid thing to do. And it's a totally valid to do whether you want people to mess around with your system or not, because you may say, why would you need to ask me? Just go make your game. Uh, if you use stuff from me, just give me a shout out at the beginning, which is what a lot of these smaller, smaller games licenses is. really are. They are a shout out, you know, shout out, like say, hey, this this inspired you and make it clear that I am not legally responsible for anything <laughs> that you do. Um, and it's not uncommon nowadays to see a, um, a, a, sec- a third sentence that is um, like no transphobic, homophobic, like misogynistic, racist content may be made using the system, which I'm. I think it's great. I think I think that should exist uh, in a lot of them. So um, the um, but when you're making your own system, you know, a, a lot of people will just start doing it, and then somebody's like, "Hey, can I can I make a hack of this? Right? Can I? I want to make it." And you know, lots of times it's just like yes, and they're like, "Okay, how do I do that?" Right? And so, you may never have thought about that, you know, if you didn't put have that in your mind when you were making something. So the. To, to, to put that into licensing conversation even more fully, what I'm hearing from Tony and what I agree with is if you're creating your own game, if you're doing your own stuff, probably the last thing that I would worry about initially is putting together an OGL license or, thir- or an SRD or whatever. Like that's a down the road thing. Um, it's something that's great to have if you're finally publishing and if you've got some community, if you're seeing the community meter starting to tick up. You can grow that community meter even quicker by putting out clear guidelines on, hey, you want to be a part of this? You want to make things? Here's the thing. But starting with a license is starting backwards. Yeah. And it's it. you're going to learn so much about your game, part your system, how, what you want to do with it, all that stuff. And the reality is that for the core things that you're going to value the most, just to stand, the standard copyright that comes with publishing is going to cover a lot of your, a lot of your bacon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say a license, creating a license is a publisher's problem. It's not a designer's problem. Um, the designer may be the one doing the work at the end yeah. of the day, but it's something that a publisher is going to come and say, hey, we need to get a license in place for this because enough people are wanting to do it. Um, and so until you're looking at publishing your own stuff or having somebody publish your stuff, that's really when it becomes a, oh, we should do this. And like Brian and uh, Luke said in the last seminar, right, like, if you decide that you do want to put a license in your game or whatnot, the easiest thing, the best thing, the thing that you probably should do is just go find a another game that does a that does a license that you really appreciate and you think that's a great license, and then just copy and paste and change it to your name, and you're good to go. Like that's easy, but don't do a lot. Especially we're not lawyers, right? I'm not a lawyer. Tony's. Are you a lawyer? A okay, lawyer. you're not a lawyer. Jason Cordova is a lawyer. Yeah. Um, the uh, and isn't even writing his own SRD. Um, the um, I, and I would say, you know, one of the, the other big pieces that come with that, that I would say, even if you're looking at things, think very intentionally about if you're going to use Creative Commons, what you are putting under Creative Commons. Because once something is put under Creative Commons, it's in Creative Commons. So, like, for us, the core rules of one of our games are Creative Commons. 
but none of the images or art or text are. Um, however, we are very open with the ability for people to communicate, like with us and say, hey, I want to use this. Can I use it? Like I, all of our beast theory, like a lot of the things that we want people to be able to pick up are, but like it's a one page core rules game. The rules part is free, but the classes and the roles and other stuff, they need permission, which we'll give. But we just want them to ask beforehand. But it's to prevent people from basically being like, it's all curative commons, so I'm just going to reprint your game and do whatever I want with it. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, So just if you're going to get into creative commons stuff, do your homework and be very clear about what you're making creative commons or how you want people to ask you. Because I would even say, even as a designer, thinking not about licensing, but how you want to let people know that they are free to build something based on your work can be as simple as a in the front of your book saying if you love this game and you want to make something for it like you know please feel free to reach out to me i would love to talk to you about it like it could be as simple as that but you certainly don't need a license for the most part we've got about 10 minutes before we got to wrap up so before we do any other talking have we not covered something or do you have a curiosity that you want us to cover before we uh before we close the lid Okay, cool. So I got a couple of weird directions that we could take this. Cool. Because uh, I think we've covered this and we've weird. exhausted. So now we should pivot to something that's kind of like a palate cleanser, I think, for okay. this, right? Um, so one of the things that we could Parsing talk about. the legalese. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. let's just get in. Let's let's open up an OGL and let's just talk about line by line. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We talked about the SRD and using things like that. What about when you use something that's not in there? How much do you? That's a change to be okay and kind of clear with anything. Just change the mindset. Yeah. So, um, do you know? Do you know why the D and D calls halflings hobbits or hobbits Hobbits, halflings? Well, no, because they couldn't call them hobbits because Tolkien's estate wouldn't let them. Right. So the answer is at least at least five letters. Um, (laughs) And so. uh, but no, I mean, like, you know, that is, a, that is a really good question. But I mean, a lot of, a lot of RPG publication, um, is serial numbers filed off a thing I love. Um, you know, um, not exclusively, but there's a lot of that in the indie RPG space, um, specifically. And it depends whether you're talking about licensed materials for an RPG or intellectual property from a broader source. Like, and that's, that's one of the kind of weird intersections of this space because some things, you can't copyright are copyrighted for different reasons than other things. And some of those things are going to, people are going to be more litigious about like avatar. The last airbender um, is never going to have an open license as an RPG. Why? Because Nickelodeon is never going to allow avatar to have an open license as an RPG system. Mechanic wise, PBTA is an open license. You can use it, but you can't create Avatar third-party content because Nickelodeon would never let you do that. And it's not a licensing issue, right? And so it really depends on that. What you're trying to tweak. And Dungeons and Dragons, like, so for 5th edition, for um, uh, Chaosium, for people who work with broader IPs or have created a bigger world, like Forgotten Realms specifically, there are different types of limitations that come up even within licensing because sometimes they're actually copyright restrictions not licensing restrictions. And let me give a real world example, right? I believe that the Cyclops is not in the SRD, right? 
But a Cyclops is a, a standard part of fantasy that we all like and that you probably at some point might want to use in your game, right? So you're going to go to the SRD, you're going to look up, and you're going to be like, well, there's an Etten, and there's a Troll, and there's 16 versions of a Giant, but there's no Cyclops. And so you look at, you know, whatever book the Cyclops is in, and you see, what does that stat block look like that, that I can't use, right? And this is Zach's way of doing it. I look at what I cannot use, and I say... What can I tweak to change this to where it is going to be okay? The big thing that you want to change is I believe in the Cyclops for D&D, it has a, a trait called nearsighted, right. right? And nearsighted has this very clear line about what nearsighted means as a trait. That trait isn't in the SRD at all, right? So I probably need to change that trait. And it's pretty easy to come up with something that works very similar to nearsighted, but is not nearsighted. Doesn't matter that your Cyclops is the exact same strength score as their Cyclops. Probably not. They're not going to care. But why not just change it by one point just to be that much little bit farther away from what the official one is? Little Looking at what's in the SRD that I can for sure 100% use, what's not in the SRD that I could tweak very easily to get away from it. And then what I like to do is... I could call mine a Cyclops all day, and it's going to be just fine. Cyclops, that block, Wizards doesn't own the rights to a Cyclops word. You're going to be okay. Homer, Homer does, but he let it lapse in the <laughs> yeah. So what I like to do, though, is I like to name my Cyclops. I would name my Cyclops something different because I'm going to recognize that almost every person who buys my book is going to also have bought the Wizards book that has the Cyclops, right? So mine is going to be the... Monoclops. The Monoclops or the or the, um, the, the, the Redwood Cyclops, right? Something like that. Just so that now I've given an... I haven't just tweaked a few things and made it blah. I have given you two options now because i know you have the cyclops at home i've given you two options for what a cyclops can look like in your game and people really like that because it's giving them variety um and beyond license it's also a good place like those changes are a good place to let your voice and your game shine also too like it is like if it's the redwood cyclops what does that mean what is the world building is there an affinity for a specific part of the world is it because they blend into the trees because they all have bright leafy red hair like it doesn't like it doesn't matter but like that is a good place to start building out not just am i changing it enough but what do i want the cyclops to be and say the reality is that I mean, and the biggest part of it is going to be stat blocks that you're wanting to pull, probably, or spells or something. And you're like, ah, oh, the spell that I want to use that I want my wizard to have isn't in the SRD. Okay, well, change it. Like, change the name of the spell to something that sounds super similar and change it from being 68 to 86. And you've got all the same math, pretty right. much, and it works the same, and it all is going to be fine. The other thing to keep in mind is the bigger the company, the less they're probably going to look at you, especially when you're small. Now, that's not me saying you're going to get away with so much, go get away with it. But it's me saying, be earnest, be sincere, try your best to not step on major toes, and I don't think you're going to have any problems. There's, uh, uh, if you are trying, if you're going to try to make a whole book that is Volo's Guide to Monsters, but not Volo's Guide to Monsters, now you're playing with fire, right? This is Rolo's Guide to Monsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a problem. Um, but that's really what I would tell you is just be just be a little bit careful. And be earnest and sincere, and they're not looking for pe- they're not looking for the gotchas, right? They're looking for the people who are being blatant about trying to rip them off. 
that's the people that are going to get the cease and desist letter, yeah. especially from the bigger companies. Smaller companies, um, you know, they're probably super, super nice if you're following the rules, but they are people that are probably going to be more protective when you're breaking I the mean, rules. I mean, it really comes down to most of them are only going to come after you if you violate the, like, no bigot clause in there. Like, that's when they're going to come and be like, no, this game was not designed to do that. Anything else you do, they're probably going to be like... Hey, it would have been nice if you had reached out ahead of time. Yeah, that but is what like, it is. Yeah. So, um, or they just don't do that at all, right? Like it was in the Morkborg thing today when we were talking about it. Johan and the guys were like, we don't want anyone to contact us. Please, <laughs> just please leave us alone and, <laughs> and just use we the simple games, rules and yeah. we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, all right. You had a palate cleanser. I know we, we are, we're at time. Do you, do you, was it a good one? Do we want to go back to it? Oh, gosh. Um, well, so the thing, the question that I've gotten in two of these panels already, so maybe we could do it in like a two-minute palate sure. cleanser, is some people walk into this panel and they hear the word license and and they hear not just about RPG system licenses, but how do you license things for your own oh, product, like an intellectual right? property, yeah, intellectual yeah, yeah. property license. So, do you, can we do like can we do intellectual property? Can we cover intellectual yeah. property licenses in two minutes? Totally. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't want that headache. Uh, I mean, like in the sense of that's my response. Like, I don't want to try to license IP. Um, yeah. Uh, I have friends who are in the middle of either licensing their IP to other things or they are – or have licensed IP. Well, Airbender, right? Airbender is a great example. Like like you have – like they licensed Avatar The Last Airbender. What does that look like? The people want to know, right? Because the reality is if you're designing your own system or you're designing your own game and you can bring in Avatar The Last Airbender or Batman, now all of a sudden you don't just have the RPG market but you have – the Batman market that right. you can you can sell to. And it's a point at which you may say, we don't want a big system. We want one of these medium-sized systems, right? Like, I, Modifius does this incredibly well, like, right. in all honesty. Like, they... With Dune and Fallout and Power Star Rangers, Trek. And, yeah, G.I. Joe. Like, you know, like, all these different systems that they... And these are all licensed IPs that they that they um, they have a license for, for them to be able to make content for that game. Um, and, and one of the reasons that it's, it's a good mix for everybody, because... It's not all of a sudden. Okay, we are a we are a major IP brand, and we want to make a game. Well, we may not want to work with another major corporation because we want to be the big boys. And you know, what Wizards of the Coast may not want us to be the big boys, and probably don't. Um, so we're going to go to Modifius, or we're going to go to Monica Games. We're going to go to one of these other mid-sized publishers and work with them. Um, on one of these pieces if you do want to if you do have a vision for an ip that would work really well with your game and you want to try to pursue that let me give you like the five second way of how you can do that right fast answer is there's a lot of trade shows on the west coast around hollywood that you can go to that are like gen con only it's all about agencies that have ip holdings and they are willing to take pitches or hear from you or work alongside you or see if you're a compatible fit that's the easy button is getting into one of those conventions or those those trade days and and chatting with people what you don't want to do nine times out of ten is say i want to i want to acquire the batman license so i'm going to reach out to uh, dc comics right it's probably not DC Comics that you're going to talk to. Yeah. You want to look for the agency, the IP branding agency that manages the brand for these companies. That entire job is not to design and write and produce Batman comics, but his entire job is to deal with people like you and I who want to put out Batman merchandise or Batman 
accessories or Batman games and make sure that that brand is getting what they want out of it. Almost always, you're going to need to come ready with a pitch that that's really flashy and looks awesome and communicates what an RPG is to people who have no idea what an RPG is. Then if they like all that, you sell them and they, they catch the vision, then they are almost always going to want an upfront payment. That upfront payment is almost always going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of if it's a very small IP, $5,000 or $10,000. If it's a very large IP, it could be fifty dollars or $100,000. And that's the upfront one. Then they're going to want a royalty cut. Typically, that royalty cut is going to be somewhere between 10 on the very low end and 30% on the high end. They're going to get from your gross sales, yeah. right? It's not after you've paid for everything. It's you sell a $50 book. They're going to take their cut right there. Um, and then they're going to finally say, you're going to pay us 20% in royalties, but you have a minimum royalty payment that's going to be due in three years. You're 100% going to have paid us $100,000 in royalties in three years, or you will owe us the remaining balance of that at that point in time. That's the Like fast- I said, not a headache. I not a headache at all. <laughs> and you are now not the end-all, be-all for your product. And yeah. I'm saying a lot of this. I'm going to back that up with like there's some real great reasons to do it. But – you're, you now have an answer, a veto person that's above you as the creator, the, the Batman Warner Brother agency or DC Comics agency or whatever, can say, we hate all of what you did and all of your 200,000 words about Batman and why it's great is, is, is 0% approved right. and you got to start over. And that's their, that's their decision. That's almost never not the case. You're going you're gonna to be aligning with someone who has control higher than you and do. once you And once you... Once you enter into those agreements, if it doesn't work out, you are never making that. I mean, like, like you can't be like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go make Man Bat the, the game. <laughs> now you're on their radar. No, because they're going to know, like, immediately, and they're going to say, no, you did all that work for us. You cannot take it and go anywhere else with it. Now, if you did some cool design thing in there, like, if it's a, you know, that stuff you'll be able to go and do completely different work with. But that work that you have done... Is theirs. Is, is theirs. Yeah. So just as a that's just a quick statement on there's you bring in a huge audience, the 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 ceiling raises significantly when you detach yourself to an IP, but you're uh, you're signing yourself up for a lot of headaches, a lot of money uh, invested, and uh, someone that's gonna be above you that has veto power. So and, and it's it's another time where I would say it's good to look at smaller smaller system licenses at that point in time that will tell the type of story you want because it'll keep you from having the expectations of another creative thing and the requirements of a big complex system hanging over you in two very different ways that may not always match up. It open lights. It's one of the reasons I think avatar, I've done with PBA because it's how magpie designs and a number of reasons, yeah. but the fact that it is an open game system with very few restrictions made it, that is also broadly very popular, made it very easy for them to go in and just focus on the avatar side of things and using a mechanical system that would support that. Yeah. I think that's all the time we're going to have time for. All the, whatever. Um, so, Tony, <laughs> if they the want to talk more with you. Uh, come at booth 449 uh, in the exhibit hall or hit us up on uh, Discord at ttrpg.link slash Discord. That'll take you to our server where we talk about uh, game design for a lot of small and independent creators. Some of them are just getting started. Some of them have multiple games under their belt, uh, but it's a great community of support. Cool. I'm at booth 2661, World of Game Design. I'll be there most of the day tomorrow. Um, at the top of the handout, you'll also have all my contact information. If you want to chat more about this, I would love to. If you have specific questions about your thing that we didn't cover, 
come talk to Tony, come talk to me. We'd love to talk with you about your very specific thing. That would be awesome. And that would probably make our day at some point. Yeah. So cool. Uh, Tony has a marketing platform as well. So if you do make your game and you want to, you want to find an avenue to hype it, reach out to Tony. And there's, if you could get into the schedule, it's a really cool it's thing. It's pretty to easy. Do. I have found that most indie RPG people have a hard time scheduling more than three months in advance. Yeah, that's which usually yeah, never hard. Yeah. Um, and I would love to do the same. We also have a podcast, and I'd love to interview you when your thing's ready to come out and, and help you spread the word. Reach out to me. We will make that happen. Thanks a lot, guys, and uh, have a good call. Yeah. yeah! <laughs>